Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. In 2018, Phil Foden agreed to sit on the bench for six years. Six years later, he's scoring Premier League hat-tricks. England's midfield maestro with a statement performance for Manchester City last night as the title holders came from behind to further cement themselves in this season's thrilling race for Premier League glory. We'll discuss that on today's Football Social Daily, as well as talk about how Jesse Lingard's career has gone south quite literally. Some say he sold his soul to soul. We'll talk about that on today's award-winning show, Football Social Daily, with me, Niall McCorn, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning, boys. Good morning. I must admit, I can take no credit for that South Korea Jesse Lingard pun. That's all your work, Joel. Honestly, it just came to me like a like a ton of bricks just in the morning. I was thinking, Korea, <laughs> Korea. Oh my God, that's a, that sounds amazing. So thank you for giving me the credit now. You could have easily swayed that one. Just the... I'm like the opposite of James Corden. I'll give you credit for the good jokes rather than blaming you for the bad ones. <laughs> like we'll talk about Jesse Lingard's career resurrection. At least that's what he'll be hoping it is. And his move to FC Seoul of South Korea a little bit later on today's podcast. But first, the highest scoring game week... In Premier League history, lads, Brentford won, Manchester City three last night. But before we get on to the game and Phil Foden's brilliant hat-trick, what do you make of that, Marley? The fact that this weekend and, of course, Monday night, we've seen more goals than any other match week in the history of the Premier League, which has been going for over 30 years now. Goals galore. Loads of goals. Um, yeah, thanks no, in part to Newcastle and Luton just playing basketball on a football field instead of uh, instead of choosing the art of defending um, and playing out a 4-4 draw. But yeah, um, fine. I like, I, don't, I don't really... Sometimes you see things like this and people read too much into it, like, oh, is, is, is the art of defending gone? But in two or three weeks' time, we'll have 10 Premier League uh, games and we'll probably get about 15 goals. So it works both ways. It's just one of them freak things. Just enjoy it. Match of the day was great. 
um, you get to watch all the goals. I did feel a bit sorry for Burnley fans, though, because they barely ever score any goals <laughs> and they were still last on match of the day. Even a late um, a late comeback, they're probably thinking, oh, a bit of drama will be up the running order and everyone else finishes, you know, 4-4, 3-0 and all the rest of it. Villa winning 5-0 and everything. Burnley are just where they always are. Even sexy new Burnley. Old Burnley were on with nailed on, weren't they? For uh, for last on match of the day with the route one to Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood, but now these days they're still uh, they're playing better football, still not getting results, and still bottom of the uh, the running order. I did think the record for the highest scoring Premier League match might have been in jeopardy. Portsmouth seven, Reading four, still holds that crown. Another chance to wipe um, wipe Portsmouth out of another history book, right there. We had the chance, and if if I know. If the chances had gone in in that game that they should have, it it, it could have finished 9-6 or something. We've already lost one record, which is the amount of points deducted. <laughs> Everton have overtaken us with that one. But yeah, I heard Chris Waddle actually on the radio when I was driving home on Saturday afternoon, Joel, say that's why people love the Premier League, because of the goals, because of match weeks like this, where we just see the goals flying in at both ends. You know, I think the only league in Europe that can actually replicate that and strangely enough, is weird, is the Bundesliga because every time I look at their results, it always seems to be like a 4-4 or a 3-2 or something bizarre. But I think when you look at, for example, Spain or Serie A, you couldn't tune into a Cagliari against Monza and think this is going to be an absolute cracker. I'm going to see some goals there because it probably will end up being like a nil-nil or a one-nil. Same thing if you go to Spain and you watch a Valencia against... Severe or something. I mean, it's probably going to be a stalemate, very close counter, and nothing much is going to happen. Whereas you go to England and you can watch like any game across the whole pyramid, and you're probably likely to have a fast-paced end-to-end game, really quick football. Because I remember, if if you guys remember on Sky Sports, I can't remember what the segment was for Spanish football. The Revista de la Liga, is that what it was called? Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And you would tune in, and the games would just be so monotonous and tedious. And you would think nothing's going to happen in this game. Whereas you go to anyone in England and you know you're going to get a bit of a fast-paced game where you're thinking, oh God, another another one's going to come. So I think that's the kind of the unique selling point, I would say, in England. We're, we're bordering on ignorance here, aren't we? Massively. The English game's great and everything else is rubbish. <laughs> Those are the opinions of Joel Tudor. Who, oh, what, uh, are, you, are you a Spanish football connoisseur that goes and oh, watches the lower league? No, there's just crap games in England and trust me, I've watched a few. <laughs> As many crap games in England. I don't think there's been a decent game in the Championship for quite a while. <laughs> Every time I watch the Championship, I'm like, this is this is tough. I mean, I'm not really one to watch Championship games, but more so Premier League. Second Portsmouth reference in just seven minutes could be a new record. The FA Cup final we won against Cardiff in 2008. Watching it back, Probably. one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. It was terrible, yeah. but we won the cup, so who Our cares? finals ever really good cup football, finals, though. That in it, yeah. That's why the World Cup final was so good, because it was just it was a bloody good game, and Mbappe with the hat-trick, and Mouani missing that chance in the last minute with Martinez's save and stuff. It had everything, like, you feel like that that's the pinnacle, um, and often it's just... I always think the Champions League, actually, the Champions League football at its ve- is football at its very best in the semi-finals, or sometimes the quarterfinals, because they're so desperate to get further that they, they give everything and they're not as cagey because he can't be. Um, whereas in the final, sometimes it is a bit of a, a damp squib, but every every now and again you get a, a final like 2005 with, the, um, with the, the Liverpool comeback against Milan and stuff. So, yeah, it's just 
just the way it goes. Don't you think that's strange, though? Because I feel that way about England when they got to the Euro final against Italy. They scored early through Luke Shaw. I think it was like two minutes or something. And then they kind of went into their shells. They became a bit cagey, to use your description. And I always feel like that's the time you've got nothing to lose. When you're in the final, cup finals, they can be exciting. It's just about being brave enough to go for it. I don't know what, uh, obviously what it's like too often to watch your team there. Um, So it's not, uh, you know, something that, you you get regular exposure to, but it's just one of them, minute, you know, you, the nerves take over. I think especially with England um, in that Euros final, you, you said before the game, this isn't the best Italy team you've ever faced. This isn't Italy of two thousand and six where they will uh, they will create chances. You can you can go and win that game and and attack and take this game by the scuff of the neck. But to go back to it, that Luke Shaw goal in after three minutes was probably the worst thing that could have happened because England just went into the shell and. They were they were Gareth Southgate personified, really, trying to just um, sit on what they had for, you know, eighty eight more minutes against uh, against a team that were gonna throw everything at you because they've won things before and they know how to win things. But yeah, it's um, frustrating. Still, still angered by that Chiellini grab on Saka as well. Every time I see the still of it, <laughs> he throttled him. Yeah, but I'd do the same if I was in the same situation. So, just going back to La Liga, obviously. It's much harder to watch Spanish football on English television now than it was a few years ago. Do you remember when they used to have La Liga on Sky and it used to be Revista de la Liga, Joel? And because of the time difference, it's an hour ahead over in Europe compared to here in the UK. And on a Saturday, three o'clock, there's a blackout. Sometimes if it was like El Clasico or a big game involving Real Madrid or Barcelona, they couldn't actually show the first 25 minutes half an hour of the game so they were kind of sat around on a sofa in the studio sort of talking about the game without actually talking about the game because they're not allowed because of rights issues and then as soon as the blackout would end at the certain time period they would cut to the match just so bizarre when you think of it like that no they were they were good times in in la liga actually back then i think that's when they had really top quality teams probably less so now than back then i always remember like Villarreal with raquel me and uh just them absolutely trying to dominate the Champions League in 2006. Crazy how the football has changed in both leagues, to be fair. I definitely think the game is different. I mean, that's such a blatantly obvious thing to say. But they are different eras. It's like saying, would Muhammad Ali be able to knock out Mike Tyson? I mean, you just don't know, do you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a different game, isn't it? Completely different game. Uh, the tactics of of a four four two wouldn't work against Pep's system, but and especially now as well, where you're seeing, for instance, we've got more research into the impact that being a football player can have on your physical health later in life. I'm talking about dementia and Alzheimer's from heading the ball, and obviously the footballs have improved in terms of the actual equipment. They're not made of leather and lace anymore, and they don't get. 10 pounds heavier and weigh like cannonballs when it gets wet and it's raining. That's not the case anymore. But heading the ball is obviously not great for your neurological health long term. There's research to back that up. So kids now are kind of being told to avoid heading the ball or they just don't get coached ahead of football. They play on 4G and plastic surfaces instead of grass. That reacts differently. The ball bounces much more true than it does on a grass pitch. The same in terms of the way that you have to move because of your ligaments. So these are all things. And slide tackles as well. Nobody slide tackles on Astro unless you're a maniac. So, you know, these are things that are changing. 
that might actually influence the future of the game. Yeah, it's good. It's different, isn't it? It's, you know, when, you know, I start taking my kid to football training, I'm interested to know what it's going to be like. Because I remember, you know, um, when I was a kid, I think up until sort of under 12s, it was just a huddle of mass players just all trying to kick a ball. It was like watching a, a brawl, like a moving brawl, just everyone kicking the ball around. And you see it now, I'm, I'm you know, five years time, six years time, it's probably going to be, you know, kids will know what a, de- a defensive midfielder is at six years old. And it's like, what? Like you're going to get yeah. kids who are born to play roles. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold, me. It's like, what? Like, you're an inverted mm. right-back and you're six. Like, you're probably not. I think there's a deeper question to be had there about whether the raw enjoyment of the game, football in its purest form, is being washed away because of the abundance of conversations like that about tactics and positional awareness and all of that stuff. What's wrong with kind of kicking a, a scrappy old football around on the street with your mates, you know, using <laughs> garage door as, as the goal? Like, that, does that still happen? I don't know. There was an ex-footballer who mentioned this. I can't remember which one it was. Who said that football within kids, the creativity is starting to die out a little bit. Because if you look at all the greatest footballers that have gone by in the past, they didn't all have private trainers. And they didn't want to go as an inverted register number eight who likes to trap back and go box to box. They just went on the pitch and they were encouraged to be creative with the ball, carry the ball. Now it's almost like pass, pass, pass. You have to pass it, don't hold it on for too long. But then you're not breeding these creative players anymore then. You'll find that, I think you'll find, and I think we're finding, that you'll get less players who are brave enough on the ball. You know, they're like the, the Messi types or the uh, David Silva types, the ones who are really brave and they want to run with it. I feel like now you're just going to get almost robots. You know, ones are ingrained in the mind. We need to pass safety first, risk averse. And that's probably going to change the landscape of the game in the next 20 years, I think. And you know what? It's quite interesting in general because we always talk about which major cities in Europe produce the best players and Paris is always up there because you need to learn how to play in small spaces. Brazil always produce excellent technical players because, well, number one, they're either playing on the beach, which means you have to keep the ball off the ground because the ball doesn't roll on sand, or they're playing in the favelas, basically like playing in a phone box. There's just no space, so you need to be really good at close control. But those players still exist. One of them is Phil Foden, and we'll talk about him next because he scored a hat-trick last night and maybe growing up on the streets of Stockport has actually shaped the player he is today. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
This is FSD, an award-winning Premier League podcast. I'm Niall. Marley's with me. So is Joel. The most high-scoring game week in Premier League history concluded last night with a score of Brentford 1, Manchester City 3. And it was Phil Foden who bagged a hat-trick to help City come from behind and secure a big three points away from home in the Premier League title race. Now, I joked at the top of the show, Joel, about a tweet from a certain journalist from 2018 when Phil Foden signed a new long-term contract at Manchester City. The tweet was, Phil Foden agrees to sit on the bench for six years. Well, here we are in 2024, six years on. He's scoring hat-tricks. I think the best quote to counter-quote that quote is the cream rises to the top, always. I think with Phil Foden, everyone at the time when he signed that new contract under Pep, they were thinking, how is he going to get into a team where Manchester City regenerate that forward line, especially with another 50 million, 60 million, 70 million pound player? How's a youth player meant to get into that? But now we're starting to realise that Phil Foden is probably, in terms of his technical ability, one of the most naturally gifted English players we've seen in quite a long time. He's got that quality that you can't teach. It's like I go back to my point originally. When he was playing for his local team, it was Reddish Vulcans, which is one that my uncle actually played for. When he's playing in these types of teams, he was encouraged and it's probably naturally given to him to carry the ball. And then he's perfected that as he's gone through the youth teams. You look at the players similar to him that have gone by in the past and the ones that kind of, I almost symbolise with him slightly, someone like, I know they're very different in stature, but you know like Moussa Dembele, for example, you know that raw ability to just be able to glide past players and have such agility that you can't really touch them and they can open up a game on the half turn. It's such a rare ability to have. Well, to use an English example from longer ago, Paul Gascoigne would be one. I know. Gascoigne obviously had his issues off the pitch, but on the pitch, someone like him, and even Paul Merson to an extent, who was a creator, but more so Gascoigne, I think. I'm not saying that those two are carbon copies of each other, but the way that Phil Foden, as you say, can progress the ball, unlock defences, and score goals as well. That's a real talent to be able to do that. You also have to give credit to Guardiola as well for the rotation he's actually given Foden, because like I said, he's got such riches every single year especially in the forward line. I think when you're at a club like City that is absolutely bankrolled like it is, the forward line is probably the most difficult to get into because like I say, they can go out and pick anyone up in the world to go fill that position. But then when you contrast it to his English statistics and his games for England, I can't believe he's only scored one senior goal for England, which is absolutely shocking considering just how good he has been for City and his productivity for City. I mean, every single season, he's averaging about 9, 10 goals a season. Well, yesterday on the podcast, Joel, you threw Gareth Southgate into the sea. And if you don't know what we're talking about, that's our usual Monday feature where if someone annoys us, we just say, get in the sea. And Gareth Southgate was Joel's choice this weekend because he went to Ajax to watch Jordan Henderson. Off the back of that, we had a conversation about who we think Southgate will take to the Euros in the summer. Phillips has obviously had a poor start on loan to West Ham. We know Henderson's one of his favourites. Bellingham and Rice are pretty much shoe-ins. There's Cobby Maynou coming through. Ward Prowse is always in for a shout. Longstaff's having a great season. But we all forgot to mention Phil Foden. I think right at the end, Marley said, what about Phil Foden? And I know Phil Foden's been played out wide by Pep and sometimes he's even as a false nine. But I think in that 10 position or in that more central position, even as a second striker, he's someone who is creative enough to cause real damage. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think if Foden doesn't play a big part, 
for any team he's in, it's a massive waste. Um, I get that he can be a little bit quiet at times uh, and a little bit like sometimes he doesn't quite get involved in the game as much as he could. Um, but that's that's mainly down to, to the way Man City play. But um, I think the way he is, he's completely fearless with the ball. In a passing team, he's the one that will get it and dribble um, and can get you up the pitch. And probably similar to Grealish in that way. Um, and Grealish, you know, Grealish is sat on the bench at the minute. £100 million player can't get a kick because the options that Man City have got these days uh, are insane. And with Foden scoring hat-tricks from central positions, it's just another thing to deal with. Um, we all know how good Bernardo Silva is, but if Foden's playing that central role with De Bruyne, there's probably no room for Bernardo Silva, which is a weird uh, situation because of how good a player he is. So um, he's, he's class. You've got to build England around him, Bellingham and, and Kane. They're your three. Sort them out and Rice. So there's your, there's your four. Get them in the same team and build everything else around them because, you know, forget crowbarring in Henderson because he's playing in the Dutch league um, just because, you know, you love him. Forget him. Bellingham is 10 times the player and he's 10 years younger. Do you know what? On that point you were making then and you went, oh yeah, and Rice, he's your fourth. I thought you were just going to go, John Stones, he's your fifth and your sixth and your seventh. We're going to win the Euros, yeah. boys. I thought you were just going to go I through could, the whole scene. I could. I could. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd get 10 and then get stuck at the goalkeeper because I still don't know who's the best, but it's, it's probably Pickford, isn't it? Rashford doesn't go. <laughs> we're not here to talk about who's going to the Euros, boys. <laughs> we're here to talk about last night's result. We've waxed lyrical about Phil Foden, Joel, but in terms of the result and what it means to Manchester City, obviously we know that they're going to be breathing down the necks of Arsenal and Liverpool. It's their title to defend. And they would become the first team to win four Premier League titles in a row if they do it. They do have a game in hand over both sides now. And by beating Brentford, they go above Arsenal on goal difference. So they're now up into second. They've won the last five games in a row. They've got Everton up next. They're probably going to win that. Was it a statement win last night, the fact that they were behind? Or does it not really matter because everyone was expecting them to beat Brentford anyway? No, I mean, Manchester City coming from behind to win is probably as likely as... Marley coming in with the Gregs in the morning on a Monday. It's like, <laughs> it's going to happen. Isn't it? We just don't know what, what kind of, it's like what score is going to happen. We don't know what type of items are going to be there. Um, but I think for City looking at this season and how it's gone for them, after winning a treble, I think this was actually necessary for them to actually get the fire in their belly and actually feel like the challenge is there. Because I can imagine after winning a treble, it must be so damn hard to regroup your players, get them motivated, try and stress we could go four in a row here. We could go back-to-back -back Champions Leagues for the first time since Real Madrid, like, what, five years ago. We could do back-to-back -back FA Cups. It must be really difficult to get them on that kind of fire mentality of let's go and do it again. And the fact that they lost De Bruyne for such a long period, the fact that Haaland was out for a month, and the fact that they found themselves trailing both, not only Arsenal, who I thought, I think that they thought was going to be the only challenger again, but also the surprise that is Liverpool that is keeping them really close as well. I think it almost creates a new challenge for that City squad, which is we've got two contenders now. Whereas before we were always, you know, five points ahead, six points ahead, 10 points ahead. And then they just coast off into the sunset. I think if that would have happened this season early on, I'm kind of convinced that they might have fallen off quite quickly 
because the complacency might have kicked in. But saying that, I mean, when you look at the seasons gone by where they got to 100 points and 99 points and whatever else, it shows that there's a mentality in that squad where they just cannot let go of winning. It's a, there's a winning mentality in that squad, isn't there? Um, but I think it's the perfect environment, the perfect storm for the City side to try and go on and win it again because it's not said and done yet. There's still a long way to go. They've got Arsenal next month. They've got Liverpool next month. They've got Manchester United next month. They're all big, big games that can really determine what happens in the next couple of months. Brentford won, Manchester City three. Big result for Manchester City. Moves them up to second in the Premier League title race. Marley mentioned the word strategy and we've been left scratching our heads over the last few years as to what Jesse Lingard's strategy has been when it comes to finding a new club because simply put, he's been rotting away on the sidelines for some time as a free agent. That looks set to change though as today he's about to put pen to paper on a two-year contract with South Korean club FC Seoul. We'll share our thoughts on that after this on Football Social Daily. Final part of today's FSD. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow and that way you'll never miss an episode of the podcast again. New shows through the week or if you were listening yesterday, conversation about sandwiches. We've done well. We've managed to get through most of the podcast without mentioning sandwiches. We seem to, which seemed to dominate yesterday's podcast after Chris Wilder's comments about referees being disrespectful. As as you eat, as you've just said that, I've just got a message on my phone saying rate my meal deal from uh, from my mate from my sister in law actually. So that is. Uh, well, come on then, let's let's do it live on the podcast. Should we have? Well, she's getting panned for it. I've not seen the seen the thing yet, but uh, she's right. It's oh, not gone oh. down well in the group chat. No, not really. And it's understandable why she's gone for a chicken and bacon Caesar pasta salad. Wow, okay. There's a lot of words in that. Chicken and bacon Caesar pasta salad. Right, okay. And just to explain this, by the way, because we've had a few messages in our Telegram group, which you can join for free by clicking the link in the description. All you need to do is download the Telegram app and by clicking that link, it'll take you straight into the group chat. Uh, In the group chat, Armand, who's a a long-time listener to the show, he's from South Africa, and he says he doesn't understand how Joel can afford to have a prawn sandwich every day. (laughs) Do you know why? Including the name Meal Deal. It's the the deal is all that's And that's what I was about to explain, Joel, because a meal deal is the same price no matter what sandwich you choose. So you can just choose a basic old ham sandwich or cheese sandwich or you can go for something fancy, whether that's a prawn mayo or, in the case of Marley's sister-in-law, a chicken and bacon Caesar pasta salad, which counts as the sort of main course in the meal deal. So you get a main course, a snack and a drink. That's the main course. I don't think that's that bad a shout, to be fair. It's not, it's not the worst. Um, it's very on brand for, for her, to be fair. Um, she So she's gone for that. That's, that's the main. The snack is um, a, a brownie, like a brownie stick. That's all right. Um, it's like a, a slice of brownie uh, and the drink is a Fanta. I don't think that's that bad. I, I think the criticism's unwarranted. I think it's it's just, it's the criticism because it's her. Right. <laughs> she can do no, she can do no right in the group chat. So we just pan her for whatever she picks. But the, the pasta salad feels a bit dry for me. So uh, she won't be getting more than a seven out of 10. Not yours. Yours would be a 
all day breakfast sandwich, a scotch egg, <laughs> scotch and, <laughs> and bovril. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're here to talk about Jesse Lingard, not the group chat meal deal choices. But I'd be interested to hear actually in the Telegram chat, if you've listened to this, what your meal deal choices are and whether they do eclipse that of Marley's sister-in-law or Joel's prawn sandwich and almond, whether <laughs> prawn sandwiches are indeed a delicacy in South Africa, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe biltong should be a snack. Oh, Maybe we, we can kind of... Uh, that out. No, not at all. Dead good for you, good though. Good stuff. All good stuff. Right, let's talk about Jesse Lingard. He'll be tucking into bibimbap and Korean fried chicken and gochujaru and all sorts of stuff when he moves to FC Seoul. Joel, that was really testing my Korean food knowledge there. I had to dig deep to find that. You'll be probably someone who knows a little bit more about it than me, being the foodie you are. But before we talk about the cultural element of Jesse Lingard going to South Korea, what do you make of the move in general football-wise? Is it the sort of place that we expected him to pitch up at? No, I feel like this is almost last resort. In my mind, he's been trying to battle his ego of measuring where he wants to go them paying him what he wants and he's realised he cannot marry the two together anymore. He just doesn't have the leverage. I'm sure he wanted to be in a Premier League club earning X amount on an X year contract. Everything's rosy. But I'm convinced he just didn't get the offers that he wanted. I think he was probably getting offers from the likes of Hoffenheim, Erta Berlin, Real Zaragoza, all these kind of clubs who were like, you know, we'll give you a long contract but you're not getting paid half of what you were earning two, three years ago. And he's thought, okay, well, now's the time to seemingly prior. I don't know what his reasons and his motives are for going to Seoul. I mean, I'm sure culturally, like you mentioned, I'm sure it's an incredible place to go, an incredible place to live. Uh, I know Juan Mata recently went to Kobe uh, in Japan for a year. Sometimes players just want that cultural ending to the career to experience, you know, a distant place. Do you think there's a commercial element to it? Potentially, potentially. You know, he's always been about, you know, his branding of the, you know, the J-Lings kind of element of things. And obviously the Korean Asian market is absolutely massive and probably go wild over that sort of thing. I'm sure they're definitely paying him a very, very nice amount um, because it's not really often that you get many high profile players going to Korea. It's usually either Japan or... Uh, Shanghai, for example, you know, these places that can actually afford to give these players ridiculous uh, wages. Whereas Korea has not really typically been a place where you've seen um, Western players go over there. So I don't know what, again, I don't know what his motives are because I've always assumed that he was a very home bird. I didn't know that he would like to go to the other side of the world because I know he's got, you know, close knit family. He even was quite reluctant to go to West Ham on a permanent. And that's London. So clearly his motives have changed. I don't know if it's a monetary thing or I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but I genuinely don't know. I think that there's more to this than meets the eye. And for all the criticism we've levelled at Jesse Lingard, he, of course, sacked his agents recently, including members of his own family who formed part of that entourage because he's not been able to get a deal. And so he's decided to go for a different approach. And if that means a move to South Korea, then fair enough. And I think that you do need to be brave, even at the age of 31 with a bit more experience, to go to another country as extreme as South Korea and experience that culture. And he'll try and become a star over there. And no doubt he will. We know the appetite is there in South Korea for the English game, simply because look at the reaction to every time Son Heung-min plays for Tottenham or he Chan Huang plays for Wolverhampton Wanderers. You've got these sort of South Korean global superstars now competing in a global league in the Premier League and they're getting attention off the back of it. And actually, when I say that there's more to this than meets the eye, 
behind the scenes, I know he's been investing in, you mentioned Jay Ling's, his clothing brand. He's also been investing in restaurants because he's not silly. He knows that football is a short career. And I think that maybe trying to put plans in place away from the game might be part of the reasoning behind this move. Well, at first I was obviously like everyone else, like, oh, that's that's a bizarre move. You don't see too many English players going to, uh, going to Korea at all. Um, very few, even to the Far East. I remember Gary Lineker went there for a little bit in the in the late eighties, early nineties, whatever it was, and um, not too many have have trod that path since. Um, but then, just recently, I was thinking about why why Korea, um, and you sort of touched on it there with the fandom of of um, Son Hyung Min and, and things like that. I think. For a for a guy who's very brand savvy and he wants to launch this this Jay Ling's movement, you're never going to get much buy in in England because he, that's been going for a few few years now and it's not exactly like it's not a popular culture thing, is it? Jay Ling's it's just something that Lingard does. It's his little brand. It's not moving to sort of yeah, you know, it's not taking over the sporting world, is it, or the fashion world or whatever he's trying to do. However, if you take that brand to Korea where they are fanatical and you are the first Englishman in uh, FC Seoul's history to play for them and you're already, you know, you're a decent standard player. Obviously, you know, you, you failed at Nottingham Forest. But that doesn't mean you can't smash it at, at um, in the K-League. You know, it's not exactly... It becomes more of a, a clever move, I think, because there's going to be fan- fandom around him and there's going to be... Uh, furor and you know oh my god this this Englishman's coming to play for for our team and there's tons of tons of people in in Korea who and it, if you've got a brand already business wise I think this makes sense um, and I think it's as much about business as it is about football for him as we said you know you're only as good as your last move and he was shocking at Nottingham Forest so nobody really better than Nottingham Forest is going to come in for him so his level of Premier League interest is probably going to be bottom half Premier League teams coming in. He, he's made it clear that he doesn't fancy that. So that coupled with this, you know, you can go, you can go and, you know, build your brand in Korea uh, as an Englishman abroad type of thing. It's a, uh, it's a big thing. You know, there's, there's been cases in the past of, of relatively average English footballers going abroad and just getting treated like a hero because they're English and they've come from the Premier League and and things like that and they they get that natural sort of uh, interest. So if he he goes there and he's already got his brand set up and he he becomes you know a hero over there and he enjoys it, it it makes sense. I think his his ambitions in in the Premier League are, are done and I think he knows that. So. He's he's sort of future proofing in my opinion. I think he's he's gone well. I've had I've had my shot here. I've I've been here all my life. I'm in my early thirties now. If I'm gonna go somewhere else, I have to look at the next part of my career, which can be business and fashion and and you know becoming a a star in the Far East. Which if he does, fair play, fine. It's a place I've always been interested in visiting, South Korea. So I'm sure many people will be keeping an eye on how Jesse Lingard 
does in Seoul. He's set to sign for FC Seoul today. And that draws to a close today's Football Social Daily. That is it from us for another episode. And to make sure you don't miss the next one, hitting subscribe or follow on whichever podcast platform you listen to this show on is the best way to do that. That way you'll be notified as soon as we release a new episode. We'll be back again tomorrow. But in the meantime, you can keep in touch with us on social media by clicking the links in the description. You can also click the link to that Telegram group we mentioned earlier on in the podcast. Go and click it, download the app and join for free. And hopefully we'll speak to you there. But that's it from us on today's FSD from myself, Marley and Joel. Bye for now. Catch you tomorrow. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.